Right now, on Matter of Fact, millions of people are getting a notice in the mail saying their medical bills have been paid in full. We've abolished about $7 billion for over 4 million Americans. How this debt collector became a debt destroyer with a big buy-in from HBO's John Oliver. So are you ready to do this? Plus, election officials are trying to keep track of nearly 27 million Americans who moved last year. Move out, shut down the utilities, but they never canceled their voter registration. We investigate a technology called ERIC, helping states make elections more secure. ERIC is like one of the best kept secrets out there. But first, come along for a road trip across middle America. Being Hispanic, being LGBTQ, being a woman, there's a lot of things that can literally affect my right. Being a Christian, that folks have an expectation of where I might land. I'm conservative because I believe in limited government. How the lives we lead impact the choices we make at the polls. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. We're heading into the final stretch of the midterm elections. At stake, control of Congress. With tight races in many states, the hot-button issues are no surprise. The economy, abortion, crime. After the 2020 presidential election, our correspondent Jessica Gomez embarked on a road trip across the middle of the country, traveling along I-70 from Colorado to Missouri and talking to people about how they see their place in America. Well, now she's picking up where she left off, heading east from Illinois to Maryland. At every stop, she's talking to voters about what matters most to them. About an hour northeast of St. Louis, Vandalia, Illinois, once the state capital, and the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln's political career. What I'm doing here is I'm qualifying this machine for this election. With early voting already underway, Fayette County Clerk Jessica Barker double-checking the machines one more time. I think that if people understood all the checks and balances, I think they would be more confident in the voting system. From there, we hit the road, heading east towards Indiana. It's hard pressed to find a black woman, conservative, Republican, Christian, from the heartland in Indiana. In Indianapolis, we caught up with 33-year-old Whitley Yates. People are no longer just looking at people to say, okay, well, you look like me, so I'm gonna vote for you. It's more about what policies do you have that's gonna impact people that look like me. Whitley, who owns a public relations company, tells us it was her traumatic childhood that shaped her views on things. I was born with drugs and alcohol in my system. My biological mother was told to abort me and instead she checked into rehab. And so from that lens of being given the chance, I support pro-life. And her time spent in a state-funded children's home, Whitley says, made her value independence. I never wanted to rely on the government to lead my life. When I finally became the U.S. citizen, it was a dream come true. Nearby, at an Amtrak maintenance facility, 60-year-old Eki Rahim, an immigrant from Bangladesh. An active member of his union, he believes in hard work and expanding the American dream. Definitely, I believe every human being should have 
decent health care, and education, post-secondary school education. The far-reaching extremists, whether it be far left or far right, are the most vocal. They get the most attention, and so that has driven some of those people more towards the center, in my opinion. As we left town, we stopped in on Dan and Marianne Crisman to hear what's on the minds of folks in rural Greenfield. The economy, certainly. Uh, the inflation rate being what it is. The worker shortage around here. Let me cut up the lettuce. Dan, an engineer, and Marianne, a former teacher who now works for her church. It surprises people when I say, you know, I really do believe that you can be pro-choice and pro-life. So how was practice tonight? If more of these candidates took the approach of, hey, I need to appeal to these folks that are right down the middle, I think they would definitely catch more voters that way. Back on the road, we set off for the swing state of Ohio. I'm a Mexican-American, I'm a LGBTQ, I'm a lesbian. You voting today? Did you be in, in Dayton, Melissa Rodriguez. I think the number one issue for me right now is the LGBTQ rights, especially same-sex marriage. Rodriguez spent 24 years in the Air Force, including two deployments, keeping her personal life a secret under the military's don't ask, don't tell policy until it was lifted. Not only can they join the military and feel safe to do it, the way they interacted, the partners being at award ceremonies, the way they were able to greet each other coming home from a deployment, that's something that me and my partner cannot do. So I don't want to see us go back. Honestly, we're struggling. Across town at the Dayton Food Bank, long lines. The need nearly double what it was this time last year. So too are Helena Adams' grocery bills. It used to cost us $150 a week to, to feed all five of us, and now it's $300, $350. It keeps going up. It's ridiculous. And there's Carl Schaefer, who has cancer and is on a fixed income. In less than two years, it's screwed up so bad. Everybody's, you know, it's affected everybody. America, it feels at a crossroads. But as we head out, we wonder, are the lines that divide us larger or smaller than we think? Jessica and her crew continue their journey on I-70 next week with stops in Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland. Next on Matter of Fact, one in 10 Americans needs help to pay off medical debt. Do you know that 60% of the people that are saying, please fund me, are requesting people to help them with their medical bills. How a nonprofit created by debt collectors is wiping out the balance for millions of people, no questions asked. And later, to emoji or not to emoji? What's the real message you send with that thumbs up at work? You're watching Matter of Fact, America's number one nationally syndicated public affairs news magazine. Getting sick can get really expensive, even if you have health insurance. According to a recent Kaiser Family Foundation survey, one in 10 adults have unpaid medical bills. Of that number, almost half owe more than $2,000. One nonprofit has been easing the burden. 
RIP medical debt has been surprising people and paying off their bills. One of its co-founders, a former debt collector, is Jerry Ashton. It's so nice to talk to you, sir. Let's hop right into it. You were a debt collector, and then you basically went from debt collector to benefactor of people in debt. I was retired, semi-retired from my industry, credit and collections, and Occupy Wall Street came about and the people in Zuccotti Park wanted to draw attention to the inequities, the obvious wrongs that needed to be righted, and that resonated with me. I was invited to help create a campaign that they had in which they decided they wanted to attract America's attention to the inequities and iniquities of medical debt. I invited my partner in business, Craig Antigo, to come with me, and we were the back office, and we did a good job. They raised about uh, $700,000. We abolished about $30 million worth of payday loan debt, medical debt, student debt, and then it faded. We said, we can't let that happen. So on January 1st of 2014, we founded a 501c3 called RIP Medical Debt. And you were discovered by John Oliver in a really big way. So thanks to John Oliver. We didn't have to look back again for money or this. Board member showed up. Money comes over the transom. And as of this last month, I think we've abolished about $7 billion for over 4 million Americans. These are people down the street from us. This is your son, your neighbor, your daughter, the preacher, whomever. All these people are that close because one little illness, one little bill. Nice to talk to you, sir. Thank you so much. Allison Sesso is the company CEO. I'm curious if you could walk us through literally how it works. First of all, nobody can call us and ask us to relieve their debt. It is 100% source driven, which means that the hospital or healthcare provider has to be willing to let us get our hands on that debt. We get a bad debt file from the hospital provider um, and we analyze it and identify all of the people that are 400% of poverty or below, or if the debt is large compared to the person's income overall. And we will buy the whole thing. Is it that you feel like, well, it's the hospital's fault? I see this as, as a tug of war between the hospital systems and the insurance companies and the patients being increasingly caught in the middle of that tug of war. And our philosophy is to get the patient out of that middle ground. What, what's the amount overall of medical debt that people are struggling with? A lot of the debts that we're relieving on average are $1,000, $2,000, $3,000. Those are deductible amounts. You're not saying, hey, they owe this money because they, they don't have any insurance. They just can't hit the copay. Having insurance doesn't protect you any longer from getting medical debt. I mean, there's a, a new statistic out from Kaiser that basically says that the number one indicator of whether or not you get, end up in medical debt is whether or not you get sick. We recognize that we have to help as many people uh, with this problem today because I don't see, frankly, there being massive movement on the fundamental um, solutions that we need anytime soon. Allison Sesso is the CEO of RIP Medical Debt. Allison, so nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Ahead on Matter of Fact. If states don't have accurate voter rolls, does it make them vulnerable to election deniers? We'll show you a technology helping election officials share registration rolls to secure the vote. Why not everyone's on board?
one person, one vote. If you're 18 years old, a citizen, and registered to vote, you can cast your ballot. There's one exception. North Dakota doesn't require registration, but you still have to show a valid ID and proof of residence. While it's not illegal to register in more than one state, you can only vote in one state. And there's no national database of voters. So given how frequently people move from state to state, how do election officials keep voting records up to date? 33 states and the District of Columbia use a tool that compares voter data across state lines. Our correspondent Dan Lieberman explores how it works and if it's making elections more secure. Today is the last day for voter registration in Passaic County, New Jersey. Election supervisor Minoska Morla is trying to keep up. How do you know that someone isn't registered and voting in another state too? If you are a registered voter in any other county or statewide, it will bring it up. But right now, Minoska can't easily check data across state lines. What do you need to, to do this more easily? Well, we need more information. The task of keeping track of the voter rolls in New Jersey should soon get easier. The state recently joined ERIC, the Electronic Registration Information Center, a nonprofit with a mission to improve the accuracy of voter rolls and access to voter registration. The group is made up of 33 member states in the District of Columbia. You need good tools to help you keep those records up to date. Shane Hamlin is the group's executive director. So many people move and die every day and every year. The latest census data shows about 27 million people moved in 2021. And in 2019, almost 3 million people died. So when you think about that on a daily and weekly basis, if you're an election official trying to keep your rolls up to date, that's a lot of change every day churning through your voter rolls. Seven states launched ERIC in 2012 as a nonpartisan effort with assistance from the Pew Charitable Trusts. In 2022 through September of this year, we've given our members over 400 reports, 8.5 million records that were that needed to be updated, or these are individuals who may no longer be eligible. So this is where the polling stations will be in this library? Yes. Tahisha Way is New Jersey's Secretary of State. Eric's newest member. The scrutiny that election offices are under, particularly by folks who want to challenge the integrity of the system. How challenging is that when the voter rolls are not 100% accurate? Everybody is doing everything um, possible to ensure that there are uh, accurate rolls out there. Elections work does not just start on election day. It happens 24 hours a day, 365 days in a year. State election officials have come to rely on Eric but it's not immune from the politics of the moment. Louisiana, a current ERIC member, submitted a resignation letter earlier this year, suggesting in part that, quote, partisan actors may have access to ERIC network data. ERIC does not share data and reports with anyone other than our members. One of the libraries put up signs. Jim Allen has helped run elections for nearly two decades in states with and without ERIC. He now oversees elections in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Eric is like one of the best success stories of, you know, good government coming together, red states, blue states, purple states, all cooperating with each other to try to help voters update their records. This summer alone, Allen says Eric helped identify 12,000 voters in the county 
whose status had changed. When you're talking about 12,000 out of 400,000 registered voters that we're cleaning up uh, without the help of the voter, we're instituting it on our own, in addition to what the voters bring to us on their own, uh, that's an important piece. 12,000 you know, registrations, that's, we have communities that are smaller than that. So when you have people coming in wanting to be poll watchers, questioning the integrity of the system here, mm -hmm. do you point to things like Eric to say, look, we're doing it right? Eric is like one of the best kept secrets out there. It's doing the right thing, and the reason we don't hear about it is it's not controversial. It's actually doing what it's supposed to do. In Media Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Lieberman for Matter of Fact. Coming up on Matter of Fact. Ghouls and goblins and ghosts. Why the scary part of Halloween is what happens to those costumes after the candy's gone. To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Ghouls and goblins and ghosts will likely be roaming your neighborhood begging for treats this weekend. That's not the scary part. The large amounts of trash generated is actually what's kind of terrifying. A study out of the UK found 7 million costumes are thrown in the trash each year. That equals roughly 83 million plastic bottles. U.S. numbers are a little bit harder to come by. Some estimates are as high as 35 million costumes in the trash each year. We've reported how plastic is a problem. A new report from Greenpeace found the amount of plastic actually recycled is around 5%, a new low. Researchers say the majority of plastic isn't really recyclable. Plus, there are thousands of kinds of plastic, and none of them can be melted down together. Waste management experts say that makes collecting and sorting plastic expensive. Now, some states are working on solutions. At least eight have banned single-use plastics. And both Oregon and Michigan have bottle bills, which pay customers to bring back their plastic bottles. Ahead on Matter of Fact, we explore emoji etiquette at work. What that message to your colleagues really says. Finally, there's an emoji for practically everything, whether you're feeling happy or you're feeling sad or you're craving sushi. But emojis reveal more than just feelings. They can show what kind of coworker you are or even your age. Research by Prospectus Global surveyed 2016 to 29 year olds and they found that group sent an average of 76 emojis per week. But the small group only approved certain emojis and deemed others as uncool and old. The top five on that list were thumbs up, red heart, okay hand, check mark, and poop emojis. Some found the thumbs up emoji to be passive aggressive, especially when used in the workplace. But overall, emojis are welcomed at work. A Slack survey found 53% of workers use emojis. 67% of them feel closer to a fellow colleague when they understand their usage. So. To emoji or not to emoji, I say go with the trusted smiley face. So easy, so clear. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien. We'll see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and YouTube.